0: This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, JOY. Keep JOY on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. JOY, a diverse sound for a diverse community.
1: Hey, this is John Pesuto, Victoria's Opposition Leader. I listen to Saturday Magazine on JOY 94.9 and so should you. Every Saturday, 10am to noon, download the JOY app or stream or listen on the radio joy.org.au. There you go. You are on Saturday Magazine, Joy 94.9 with Macca, and uh, it's my great pleasure to welcome back our regular guest, uh, Zoe Daniel. And be- before I do, I do I do want to actually distinguish between Anglicare New South Wales and Anglicare Victoria. Uh, Anglicare Victoria is a Joy sponsor and actively promotes same-sex adoption and is Rainbow Tick accredited. New South Wales is a very different beast with the focus there on different beasts, I agree. Good morning, Zoe. Daniel, how are you?
2: Morning, Macca. Very well, thank you.
1: And tell me, let's first off get to Taylor Swift. How was it?
2: Uh, pure joy, I think is the way I would describe it. It was... Absolutely awesome. And, look, like everyone, I had spent hours online trying to get tickets for myself and my 15-year-old daughter and failed, and by some stroke of luck and by remortgaging the house, I managed to get (laughs) some tickets on Thursday, Um, much to my husband's horror. But I, I have to say that you cannot put a price on the feeling in that stadium last night. My daughter was in tears when Taylor Swift walked out. Oh, wow. Um, and the thing, yeah, it was, just, it was just the best thing ever. It was just absolutely fantastic. And the thing is, Matthew, that obviously it was a predominantly female crowd, so lots of women and girls. And, yeah. you know, it just reminded me, I'm a fan, that, you know, Taylor is a, a feminist icon, really. And the messaging and the lyrics of her songs really lands with those young women. And, you know, I just felt so lucky to be there to, for what I think is a cultural moment. It was absolutely
1: fantastic. And 96,000 people, Zoe. I mean, that's the, the MGG was clearly packed, you know, to the rafters and beyond. Um, <laughs> what was the... I mean, you've already given us a, a sense of the feeling of it, but um a pretty... Unique event, seriously, isn't
2: it? Yeah, and look, I think even Taylor herself was pretty wowed by it. She said that she's never played to a bigger crowd, mm. ever. So, you know, Melbourne really showed its colours last night, and it was a spectacular evening, the first of her Australian shows, and given the mayhem in the build-up to it and the sort of Taylor-mania, obviously everyone had been waiting for so long for it. It was just a a sort of collective outpouring of female empowerment. And there there was a moment at which um, she put the microphone on the stage fairly close to where we were sitting and all of the girls in the row behind us burst into tears (laughs) because she was riding in front of us. It was just so good. Yeah,
1: fantastic. We've got a, a question from a listener here, Zoe which is what aspects uh, you know can she can she lear- can we learn from Taylor Swift in connecting with with uh, with smart females and being empowered you know so that political parties actually start to engage with young people
2: mm. yeah it's really interesting actually and of course When I was the US correspondent for the ABC, before I became a member of parliament, I covered the election of Donald Trump, which was the moment in which Taylor Swift first stepped into herself, in a way, as more than a a pop star, and spoke out politically, and in that moment, empowered or encouraged millions of young people to enroll to vote in the uh, 2016 election and so you've seen the evolution of her as a person where she's grown not not in confidence necessarily but in courage it, it's funny Macca, by coincidence today is pink patrol day for life-saving club yes in my and i've just come from a an event at the sandringham life-saving club and one of the speakers spoke to courage being more important than confidence, that you can sit around for a long time waiting to feel confident to do something. But at the end of the day, maybe you'll never feel quite confident to do it. And there's a point at which just stepping in uh, and, and going for it is the right thing to do. And in many ways, I think that's what Taylor Swift has done. And for those who've watched Miss Americana, which is a fantastic documentary about her, you you do see that pathway where she, she starts to become enabled to speak her mind. Um, it's, a, it's fascinating, but also, you know, people who don't know her music and this whole palaver around the concerts might think, what on earth is going on there? But when you actually listen to the words of the songs, I really think that's why it lands with these young women and girls who want to have that, that icon to, to help them find that courage.
1: And I think sometimes, Zoe, courage precedes confidence. Uh wow. courage helps build confidence. Our our newsreader, Paul, uh, is in studio and he's actually he's got a, a question or a comment for you.
0: Hey, morning, Zoe. How are you?
1: Hey Paul. Good.
0: Um, I uh have two things. First of all, it always amazes me in Melbourne, um, and I haven't read anything this morning about it. Uh, any, any issues getting in and out of the venue, but how you can get 100,000 people into the MCG and out of the MCG with relatively little pain. It's just fantastic um, planning, isn't it, really?
2: It is. And look, I mean, being a proud Melbourneian, I would say this, but Melbourne does events really well. Mm. Um, you know, to be in the MCG... And I've been there for, you know, particularly Anzac Day football comes to mind. We have that big crowd and it is just sort of a spine-tingling moment. And last night was sort of a different case study of that with almost 100,000 people. The stadium packed. Everyone was just there for it, you know, and ready to just buy into it completely. And as you say, getting in and out of the stadium was seamless. I I must say... There was a fair degree of bottleneck at Richmond Station trying to get home, but um, there, was a, yeah, there was a staff member on the microphone regaling everyone with quite hilarious jokes uh, while we all waited to get onto the platform. So, no, very well done. Very well done.
0: I guess the only other question I have for you, which is a very serious question, is what is the government going to do now about the uh, enormous uh, Victorian bead shortage? that's going to emerge after the Taylor Swift (laughs) friendship bead glut?
2: Well, so I will say this. I I did have um, two armfuls of friendship bracelets on last (laughs) night, which were made by um, my my husband's nieces um, who were with us at the concert and so if anyone needs friendship bracelets they know where to find them i'm i'm here for that i've got a pile of them that obviously we did some swapping uh, but there are a lot of friendship bracelets in my house this morning um and yes look i would encourage everyone who's going tonight and tomorrow night to include the security guards and the staff in their friendship bracelet um sharing because I think you know there was a fair degree of appreciation from those people who you know are really there to the rest of us to have a good time, and it's hard work. Um, you know, showing them a bit of love is is a nice thing to do too.
0: Absolutely, the the and you heard it here. You heard it here first, folks. Recycle those friendship beats. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> and on the topic of showing a bit of love, Zoe, how's the parliamentary behaviour been in the last little while? Has there been many opportunities to show much love to your colleagues on the other benches?
2: Uh, well, it's been an interesting sort of week or two in that regard. Uh, as you would know, Macca, I, I know what you're alluding to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm, not al- I'm not alluding to anything. <laughs> I'm merely thinking about, you know, the hothouse environment of Parliament. You know, the surreal environment of Parliament and, you know, what we see as the punters is quite different to what is going on behind the scenes. And I'm always encouraged, though, Zoe, I was at an event recently and there was a few federal politicians there and a few state politicians. And, you know, seeing those different people from different parties actually really engaging with each other, which I know happens. But the public, oh. the public don't get to see that. So, you know, as an independent, um, you know, basically sandwiched between the government and the opposition and, and, and with other cross benches, how does that feel sometimes, you know, you know, when you have those discussions behind the scenes, not in the public gaze, you know, are you challenged sometimes by what those people say publicly as opposed to what they say privately?
2: Yeah, it can be interesting because a lot of working in the political arena is about relationship building. Yes. And so you do that in the background, but then in the foreground, sometimes one of those people that you have a degree of professional relationship with will say something that can be quite pointed against your position, mm-hmm. Um and, and it can sort of almost drift into personal criticism from time to time, depending on the issue. But, but I think that, you know, part of it is to... Sorry, I've got some very noisy birds in my yes. backyard this um, part, part of it is to just accept that sort of that's how it is. Uh, that, that said, I mean, I, I sort of came in to do politics differently, as you know, so yes. I don't necessarily stand back from calling that out with those people. You know, if, if something's sort of said about me publicly that seems to be at odds with your relationship, then I'll go and talk yeah. to them and say, what, what's the deal with this? Like, is there an issue? Um, and and sort of perhaps talk through with them why my position on a particular issue differs. But my, my whole modus operandi, as you know, when I went into the parliament as an independent and, and ran for election, was to firstly and most fundamentally... Um, create more accountability around the government um, to create a less combative, more collaborative environment, but to hold the government to account on its policies, to make it more ambitious, to call out gaps and flaws. Uh, But I think the other part of it is to try to encourage the opposition to step up as well with alternative policies rather than just being sort of no all the time without offering an alternative. Um, so it's an interesting position to be in on the crossbench because sometimes I vote with the government, sometimes I vote with the opposition depending on the issue. Uh, obviously I interact with and talk with both sides um, and then I make decisions based on the views of my community and also the broader impact on Australia from particular policy positions. But I, I come to it from a very a collaborative and um, productive point of view to say, how can we make policy better? How can we make legislation better? How can we call out things that aren't otherwise being called out by the major parties on issues that they don't want to touch because of political risk?
1: Because I was thinking also, we're going to go to a a break in a, a sec, then we'll come back, but I was thinking about, you know, your time as a journalist when you would interview politicians, and, you know, so that was for in the in the public domain. And, you know, they would be mostly very considered in their response and they were thinking very carefully some of the time, what they were saying. And then, you know, contrast that with, you know, sometimes, you know, as here sometimes with guests in the studio, you have a chat before you get on, you know, before you get on air or after you've been on air. So it's it's it is a similar situation, isn't it? Sometimes the public utterances are quite different to the private utterances.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely true. And and also the performative behaviour that you see in question time, yeah. particularly, because that's when the cameras are on and that's when the live broadcast is on, can be quite different to the tone at other times of day, even in the chamber. Or conversations that you might have with senior members of either the government or, or the mm. opposition in meetings and such. So it's part of the the thing I think for someone like me is to try to figure out what's actually true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what what's what's real? You know what what's performative? What's political? What's real? You know what what is the basis of the Position of either the opposition or the government, and then to try to build something from there that works for the nation. Yeah.
1: Before we go to the break, Zoe, uh, have you watched Nemesis? <laughs> of course, I have. Unmissable <laughs> television. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's great television. Um, and of course, you know, it's, it's not the first time the ABC, you know, has done this, and full credit to them, uh, you know, for the huge amount of work, the huge amount of editing. And of course, you know, similar things they've done for, for Labor and others. But what is it, Zoe, that makes politicians, current and previous, go on camera and, well, perhaps, and tell the truth, but to actually, you know, say, well, I actually thought, or, you know, those one words, one word to describe Scott Morrison and all And what makes them do it? Seriously, I mean, do you, what is it? Are they on drugs or something? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Great
2: question. I mean, I've got to give credit to Mark Willisby, who, yes. who is a friend of mine from my life in journalism land previous to this Um who is a very good journalist, very good interviewer, good good person mm. too, actually. And he did a great job. And the producer Caitlin Shea, who also know, you know, they're a good team, great team, worked on that program. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The, the, so one of the episodes, I think it was the second episode, um, members of the Crossbench, otherwise known as the Teals, uh, oh, yes. we had dinner together um, in what the uh, News Limited. Uh, newspapers early in the piece branded as the Coven, um, so an apartment <laughs> oh, that three God. of the members of the crossbench share in Canberra, and we all watched Nemesis together. Uh, and we there was a selfie that was doing the rounds of us uh, watching the program. But uh, I think we were all quite sort of well, we had our breath taken away uh, by some of the comments that were made in the program and that it that it is what it is isn't it it's now on the public record i mean what Mm. what that sort of leads to or how that manifests in the public imagination is really up to how the public digests that
1: yeah Mm. well i i as i said i think you know i think they're all taking the truth drugs and uh you know perhaps they should do it a bit more um we are speaking with zoe daniel uh and some, is it magpies or what in the background, Zoe? What is it?
2: Yeah, bit of bit of this and that. There are that. some magpies. It's
1: some <laughs> live tweeting. Some live, oh, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, stay with us, Zoe. We'll come back and uh, I'd like to talk about um, tax and also doxing. We are speaking with Zoe Daniel, the independent member for Goldstein. Stay with us. The person we're speaking to now is Zoe Daniel, the independent member for Goldstein, who has been consistently in our top 10 downloaded podcasts for Saturday Magazine ever since you were elected, Zoe. So congratulations. Someone out someone out there, a lot of them, they like hearing from you, as do we. Um, our panellist, Liam, Zoe, he actually has a, a question for you. Liam, go for it. Hi, Zoe.
2: How are you doing? Good, Liam. Nice to hear from you. Um, I just had a quick
0: question for you. Um, at the moment, the Victorian Parliament are Uh, requesting for submissions for the inquiry into vaping and tobacco control and I just Mm. wonder what your thoughts were from the federal perspective um, considering the other states have already done this quite some time ago um, Mm. and what what is currently going through in terms of the federal side why you think this is happening now in Victoria and what your thoughts are?
2: Yeah I think it's a really interesting issue and obviously as a a parent of teenagers I have a lot of concerns about vaping, um, I think that the thing is that there's overlap at federal, state, and local level on vaping. So I get a lot of complaints that come through my office, for example, about um, vape being available at shops within walking distance from schools.
1: Mm.
2: And the council say, well, the problem is it, it's a legal business, so they have no capacity to refuse permits to those businesses. But it's evident to me that there is real community concern about it. Um, Then you've got this sort of secondary issue around importation controls and, you know, prescription versus non-prescription access to vapes and then all of the evident health issues that are... Potentially, well, are attached to vaping and, and potentially attached to va- vaping for young people who take it up. Mm-hmm. There was an interesting article in a paper written by Robert Richter, um, a KC, Victorian KC, who's talking about the potential unintended consequences of that because of the creation of a black market in vapes. Um, and so I think that, you know, we need to carefully consider as policymakers... Just what the right settings are because you don't want to create an underground market for vapes that becomes uncontrolled. Um, but, you know, the top line is I'm really concerned about it. Um, and I know that kids are vaping in schools, in the toilets, at lunchtime, and, and such. And that's really worrying. So, you know, we, we've been very slow to get onto other social. Uh, ills, um, things like gambling, which you know I feel strongly about. Um, and, you know, tobacco took a lot long time to manage. So we just have to create the right settings as soon as we can, I think, across those three levels of government before it completely gets away from us.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Zoe. In terms of setting the you know the right settings, there's another area, Zoe, that uh, I'm, I'm pretty interested in and I know you are, and that's doxing. And we've seen some examples of some egregious examples of this, you know, in the past few weeks. Oh. Give, give us your thoughts, but also how how do we counter this? Uh, obviously, you know, attitudes are very difficult to change, but the legislative framework for this sort of activity, tell us your thoughts.
2: Yeah, so I've been quite strongly on the front foot on this, along with Josh Burns, the member for yes. McNamara, Yep. Um, Julian Lisa, who's a member of the opposition, and Allegra Spender, my fellow crossbencher from Sydney, particularly in relation to the example that we've seen in, the, in recent weeks of a group of members of the Jewish community, a, a, a bunch of creatives, so people who work in the arts, who were members of a WhatsApp group having conversations about what's happening in Israel and Gaza. And the contents of that group was leaked um ended up in the media, which is one thing, but the personal information of those people was leaked in an example of doxing. Um, and that's created you know a lot of fear and anxiety among those people. Um, there are people who are being what I would describe as cancelled as a result of that. Mm. So having contracts cancelled, um, having performances and exhibitions cancelled having their businesses boycotted. um, And really, I I think my first principle is personal information should not be used as a weapon. So that's pretty fundamental. Mm. Uh, The Attorney General, uh, Federal Attorney General Mark Dreyfus, agrees with me on that. I had a conversation with him about it um, in Canberra week before last, and you'll see that the Prime Minister subsequently announced that the government would act... uh, to make doxing an offence under the criminal code. Um, It's been raised with me this week that there could be an unintended consequence around media coverage, um, maybe, but I, I think that that's a separate issue. And, you know, for example, in that case, if you are quoting what happened in that group, there's no reason that you you need to identify the personal details of Of the people who are in the group. So I think they're two separate issues. And, you know, maybe there's a carve out in the legislative change to make sure that free Mm. speech and media freedom is not not affected. But I know people, I I personally know people who are in that group um, and they are really frightened for their safety um, and for, you know, the well-being of their families, for the future of their businesses and it doesn't only apply to this conversation of course. around Australia and Gaza, obviously. There's far broader um, potential consequences of this kind
1: of doxing. Mm. Well, look, I hope, uh, you know, the government, you know, has, has indicated its intention to to legislate, but the devil is always in the detail. So we get, we'll keep a close eye on that. I know you will be. Um, <laughs> a final question I was... Uh, extremely pleased that the uh, government decided to amend the stage three tax cuts. Uh, yeah. I'd always been an advocate that those very top tax cuts uh, were way too generous and that people further down the scale, you know, people on, on you know, minim, minimum wage and average wage, you know, were not getting the benefits. So I'm really pleased that the government's chosen to do that the opposition has decided that yeah it might actually be a good idea to give people that vote for them some more money perhaps um your thoughts on how this all played out zoe and 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 i know the cross branch has played a really important role in this in driving the agenda and the discussion even though of course it's been uh, if you're a fly on the wall in the government caucus room you would know it had been discussed pretty endlessly
2: what are your thoughts Well, firstly, I have surveyed my community a couple of times on this. Uh, The first time was around Easter last year, and that was when this debate first started percolating. And the fairly stark results were that around three quarters of the electorate would support a review or, you know, a conversation about changing uh, the settings that were made under the previous government. So it appeared to me at that time that there was a willingness, even though a lot of people in my electorate, being a high-income electorate, stood to gain from the coalition settings. So when this came up again, I surveyed the electorate again in recent weeks, and it basically returned exactly the same findings. So seventy-seven percent of those surveyed, and about two and a half thousand people responded, oh, wow. yeah, forty-eight hours, said the settings should be changed to direct more money to lower and middle income earners. And 27% of those who responded were people who were above the threshold. So they would be losing money from that. Um, And what that says, I think, is that people are capable of thinking beyond the impact on them, um, particularly in an environment where... And I acknowledge... Macca, you know, house prices in my electorate are sky high. The median house price is enormous. There are a lot of people who are very heavily mortgaged and even on a relatively high income um, with interest rates as they are, people would be feeling that. Yeah, of course. Um, And some people, therefore, will be unhappy with this decision because the money probably would have gone straight onto their mortgages. But but that said, a, a lot of people can also see that they can put food on the table and other people are struggling to do that and therefore there there was a sort of set of pragmatic decision-making that was reflected in the survey around that. I think, though, that, and I would say that, you know, there's talk of broken promises and, and such and I, I understand that people believe that uh, political decisions should have integrity um, and from that perspective, I think that the Prime Minister could have been a a bit less rigid in the way that he responded to questions about it right up to a couple of days before announcing the change. You know, I I think we need to be enabled as parliamentarians to say, look, this setting was legislated five, six years ago. In that intervening period, we've, we've now got a war in Ukraine, a war in the Middle East. We've had COVID. We've got, you know, high interest rates and, and inflation issues, which are causing cost of living issues, things have changed a lot since the legislation passed. And if that's the case, we at least need to have a think about whether those settings are right, you know. Um, but he probably should have telegraphed that rather than saying, oh no, we're not going to change it yeah. and suddenly changing it. Um, and the final thing I'll, I'll say without going on too much is that, you know, this is a change to those, tax brackets to enable people on low and middle incomes to get the higher benefit from the tax cuts. But as I've said since before the election, we need everything on the table tax reform. We pay too much in income tax. We are going to have to address this issue at some point if we want to continue to have the quality of services and the prosperity that, you know, we desire in this country. And until a government of some stripe uh, has the courage to do that, then we'll continue to face these issues with bracket creep and struggling to fund things like aged care and the NDIS and, you know, Everything. a thousand other yeah. things. in a fund in our society and we're just sometimes hard decisions have to be made and tax change is never gonna be popular. Um and you know, I, I have encouraged the government very directly. Um to show some bravery in this regard.
1: Good on you, Zoe. (laughs) I'd love to be a fly (laughs) on the wall for those discussions. I want to thank you again for giving up such a big piece of your Saturday to speak with our listeners. I really appreciate it. It's always great to have you on. You have a a really pleasant weekend, and I know uh, it's going to be busy. Get some time for yourself to recover from Taylor Swift. (laughs)
2: <laughs> no worries, Macca, I'm, I'm, I'm channeling the fearless era. Um, so, to everyone who's going to see Taylor tonight and tomorrow night, just embrace that joy. Yes, Fantastic. Absolutely. And recycle
1: the beads. That's right. Recycle the beads. <laughs> Thanks, Zoe. You have a great weekend. See ya. Cheers. Thanks. You Bye. are on Saturday Magazine Joy 94.9 with Macca and Paul and Liam and uh, some magpies that were tweeting in the background there uh, with Zoe. Uh, A really quick break. When we come back, Anna Brown from Equality Australia joins us. Stay with us.
0: Thanks for listening to another JOY podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, JOY. Help us keep JOY on air. Head to joy.org.au. JOY, a diverse sound for a diverse community.